The Football Pod. Colin O'Rourke said that in punditry today, that colour, wit and enthusiasm is missing. Tune into The Football Pod. <laughs> Paddy Anders and James Dunne will bring it for you. Subscribe to The Football Pod wherever you get your podcasts. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now. I'm delighted to say Graham Hunter is with us to parse an absolutely dominant performance in Manchester City last night. Graham, good morning to you. How are you? Morning all. Good. Um, on Virgin TV last night, they were like, don't really, at half time, they were like, I don't remember a Real Madrid uh, team being as coursed around a pitch as they were in that first half and then obviously the second half happened and it got even worse. Can you remember anything? I mean, you've obviously seen way more Real Madrid than any of us have. Have they ever had a similar humiliation? Well, obviously the, the first classical that Mourinho faced, um, which was, I guess, November 2010, 5-0 against an all-time great uh, team um, coached by Pep Guardiola. At that point, they tried to play toe-to-toe and were taken apart. Um, I suppose against Milan, back in the era of Hullet and, and Reichard and Mombaston, they did get absolutely smashed um, again. And on that occasion, whether it was four or five, my memory fails me. And I didn't know it would be a general knowledge test. But if you look, if you reach for domestically, it would be that Bustler um, game that began the classical wars when you adopted a completely tactic, different tactic against Barcelona from there on in. And it led to extraordinary behaviour and an extraordinary interest in the fixture. And, and the rise of the Rossoneri, um, and that's still under Saki, I believe. And, and, and those were, those would count as two in, in the last, I don't know, was it from 30, 30 yeah. years? Those two would count as on a par with what happened last night. That's the level of historic significance that we're talking about from the performance. Well, um, yeah, probably. And just to, let's focus on Madrid for a few minutes because um, we, we've spoken a good bit about them over the last while and whenever we do, you list off the ages of the young players coming through and just how sensational the talents are. And it felt like they'd managed to bridge the gap between the old players who had carried them to all of their victories in the previous years and then injected the elixir of youth into the side. And last year, they won the Champions League with basically the same team. So, like, you can't say it didn't work. Um, maybe this is just the end of that team and the birth of the new team has already happened and it'll mutate into the... the it'll be the kids' team next season because... You know, I can't see them taking the field next year in a similar stage of the competition with the midfield of Cruz and Modric still key to trying to run the game. Yeah, it's an interesting point. Um, first of all, if, if I'm going to answer comprehensively anything that you've said there, the point has to be that um, any analysis has to take in the fact that City were extraordinary. And, and there wouldn't be many sides, I don't think, that would withstand City playing at that level. Madrid contributed because patently what we saw last night was irresistible force meets movable object. Madrid didn't compete with the same intensity. They were second to almost every 50-50 ball. They began to make more and more mistakes. But the picture of the match told you that Ancelotti had misunderstood the potential gap between the two sides and therefore probably if he had it again he would pick a different 11 Valverde instead of Rodrigo 
Kamavinga in midfield, Rudiger and Militao in the centre defence, Alabat left back. And then let's see whether the gap would have been narrower. Question. Secondly, um, it, it's probably time to be careful about how we speak about, for example, Modric, you mentioned there. It'll be 38 and a handful of months, so your point is bound to be true that changes are coming. Still a guy who powered his country to third in the World Cup, aged 37, and who's been influential all season. And Madrid took an absolute smashing last night. Moreover, irrespective of where you work like me or who you support like millions of Madrid fans, there's there's nothing to do about last night other than to hand plaudits to City, who played at an Excelsior level. It was a joy to watch. Anybody who enjoys sport, let alone soccer, would say that that was 90-something minutes of just the, the best attitude, movement, use of the ball, tactics, readiness for big moments that you can ever really expect to, to watch. But I, I, I still think that we've, you know, we look at, a Real Madrid side who, when they won the European Cup and the Spanish title last season, they'd only done that once before, jointly, since 1958. So a dip this season was predictable, inevitable almost. They put all their eggs in one basket to retain the Champions League. They'd fallen behind a very, very average Barcelona side who won the title. So we knew that there were flaws already. We knew that the that transformation that you're talking about between the young team and the old team was imperfect. And Ancelotti will look at how he prepared for last night. He'll look at the conclusions he drew from last week and he'll realise that he's contributed to the errors. Prior to the match, there was a lot of briefings coming out to, you know, that two of the sports papers in, in Spain are very... Um, they, they pledge allegiance to Florentino Perez and the briefings were coming out that Ancelotti irrespective of what happened, was completely safe. Already this morning, questions are being raised <laughs> to the contrary, which seems to me to be the howl of pain, the, the fact that nobody associated with that club, understandably, um, enjoys anything like humiliation, never mind simple defeat. So there, there, there are a lot of questions, but I won't be joining in a stampede to say, this team is finished or Cross's influence has gone forever. They were taking apart in the night. They've been looking tired for weeks. There's been a World Cup in the middle of the season. And they they are not as well planned in the evolution of the team as, for example, City have proven to be. Uh, I know we're not body language experts, Graham, but you look at different aspects of the last night when you know Ancelotti, every time the camera pulls to him, he's scratching his head. There's a moment in the first half where Vinicius is coming over to him, exasperated by the, I don't know, maybe by the tactics. Benzema, his body language as well. Modric probably had the, the poorest game we've seen of Modric in, in some time. Is there, are there any reasons for that? Like the, They just seemed disinterested, but as you say, maybe that's because of City. It's it's the, the, They're interesting points. The, the first thing I'll say, Shane, is that that, that that calm, not particularly involved Ancelotti is identical body language to when they won the Champions League last season. He was absolutely identical at 2-0 down at Anfield. You won't see him massively animated and you won't normally see him making huge tactical changes during a, a half. 
alterations at halftime usually are about retouches, individual players being told to do something slightly different. You'll sometimes see a liberation of somebody who's supposed to be a third forward of Valverde being told um, you're an out and out forward or drop back, we're playing 4 4 2. Retouches are fine. He's tactically astute. In, in terms of body language, in terms of the fact that you, you saw him passive against the Typhoon, that's the same man as we've been watching for seasons. Vinicius' frustration is easy to pinpoint. All the first leg, the supply to him was cut out. And therefore, he was arguing, this is happening again. We need to change. And it did happen again. If you excuse me, I'm going to cough right. <coughs> that wasn't me shouting um, at the football last night. Touch of the summer flu. And and I think that um, when I talked about Ancelotti having to rethink now the way he approached that tie and learn from it, which and that's a word he used a lot last night. He didn't speak much. He said, we have to learn from this and improve, but just get better and learn from this. And I think that when um, you looked, I found it revelatory last week sitting listening to Pep Guardiola. I've rarely heard him say this. He went, I have understood, I've got a little idea, and he came back to it again and again, not just when questioned. I've got a little idea about how to open Roman it up. I know what I'm going to try to do next week. For him to say that, left him open to being unpicked, to, to understood, to say it immediately after the match, in all my experience of listening to Pep Guardiola, which dates back to, as a coach, 2008, it was really unusual. One of the things he did, because what they... Peyton, they also did, was up their intensity. They upped their press. They were far better at that this week than last week. But the overload done the right. Because while Kamavinga didn't play exceptionally well as a left back, massive amount of the time it was about the other players around him didn't react to the overload. And they consistently got different players overloading him, probably usually based around Silva. And that, that worked to treat. And, and I think that when there's a really big um, x-ray of what happened last night, the strategy and tactics as well as um, Madrid's athletic ability and intensity will come under under focus. So um, th- there's no escaping the fact that the, the gulf was bigger than the final result, much bigger, based on play, based on readiness, based on athleticism. For example... If you look at last week's game where on a number of occasions, Bernardo, and he said this after the match too, didn't go into details, Bernardo Silva looked athletically in the way that you're describing Modric and Cross at the moment because of circumstances. In the goal, Bernardo Silva wasn't simply outstripped for pace by Vinicius in the first leg. He wasn't ready, he wasn't on his toes. And there were a number of times when players from Real Madrid streamed past him. He changed his attitude, changed his behaviour, changed his pitch position last night. It was after or around the man of the match. So um, I think the side which was better resourced, better prepared and did a better job between matches um, won last night. And I think that for that reason, there'll be a critical gaze turned upon Ancelotti because he hasn't handled this, this, these eight days particularly well. For my taste, Alfred, it doesn't mean the end of him at Real Madrid. It could do. He may choose to go to the Brazil national team. I miss him very much indeed. He's incredibly interesting. 
He's often very witty and funny. He's a calm, interesting, articulate voice in, in, the, in the maelstrom of madness that goes, around, goes on week after week in all European elite football. So if this means the end for him, it'll, be, it'll leave a better taste for those who admire him and like him. And it's, it's also ironic. You both know Pep Guardiola suffered what he calls, I can't use the exact, the, the closest, the, the, I filled my trousers worst in my life in the 2014 semi-final um, where his Bayern side um, got thrashed 4-0 by Romadid in Bavaria. And I've been gentle about the phrase that he used. That was the worst night of his coaching career. Here he is. Different two teams, okay, or he's in a different circumstance. 4-0 in a semi-final, however many years later we are from 2014. And he's turned the tables on Ancelotti. Great sides sometimes, or great clubs, sometimes get a slap in the face, get a pie in the face, and then they move on. I think Madrid, in general, will cope with this well and rebuild and be ugly and nasty and frightening to all their opponents next season. And you can see them spending heavily in the in the summer, and we've already heard about yeah. the, the Bellingham likelihood. Does something like this make a, a, a knee-jerk, um, and it wouldn't be knee-jerk really because they've been um, courting Mbappe for so long, but does it make it slightly more likely that they try and break the bank to get somebody like that in? It's such a confusing subject, Jer, because and there's no, no way I'm going to try and say um, here's the inside track, or I'll take you as far inside as I know. One, they are insanely desperate to sign Haaland. They still think that they can. They still, they're still briefing Madrid's two papers that Haaland will stay one more season at City and come to Madrid. Personally, I doubt that. It's feasible. Madrid are an incredible draw. And if you're going to wait for Haaland... Do you bridge the gap in the meantime or do you go all out for Mbappe? On the Mbappe subject, it's clear that things are changing at Paris Saint-Germain. He perpetually is in the huff with them or them with him. Messi's leaving, um, Verratti's leaving, not, not before time. What I'm completely unclear about is whether Florentino Perez, not Real Madrid, but the president, the all-powerful president there, has forgiven Mbappe for now turning Madrid down three times. That's the type of behaviour that a man like him has never had to tolerate before, ever. And if he swallows humble pie and goes back after Mbappe, it will be only when Mbappe has promised on his honour that if he doesn't sign for Madrid this time, he'll donate three fingers. It, there will be absolutely nothing short of that. So whether it happens or not, it's patently clear that um, Benzema's had a much more difficult season. He's three years younger than um, Modric. Um, before the last two weeks, he was averaging a goal or an assist every 93 minutes. But he's played fewer times, therefore he's scored fewer times. I think that um, last season, Benzema and Vinicius contributed between them 100 goals and assists. This season, it's 79 goals and assists. So they're a chunk off, but it's still pretty extraordinary. Yeah, Jer, you're right. They will go after um, a massively important striker at some stage. Whether it's Mbappe or Holland and whether they achieve that this summer, frankly, I don't know. 
and I'm also a little bit doubtful. But let, let's move on to City and Pep. Um, we've been talking this morning about how the, the charges that are hanging over the club is kind of a, a mood music around the back of this. And it's, it's, it is something we should constantly talk about because it will ultimately, I think, colour how this team gets remembered. And so it's important to, to foreground that as, as part of the conversation. And, and at the same time, you kind of need to have a split personality where you remember that. But do, like I... I I find myself really enjoying Bernardo Silva and loving the fact that uh, Jack Grealish, Aston Villa Jack Grealish, is running games at, at European Champions League semi-final level and still with the joyous abandon that he had as a championship footballer four or five seasons ago. Um, like, uh, Explain to me why I feel this, this uh, split, Graham. Um, because you're intelligent and experienced, I suppose. It's 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 really testing. Um, I find it um, shrill the way that a certain group in the UK media hammer City all the time because all of us were taught innocent until proven guilty in life, not just in football. That leaves those who are not stamping on the ground all the time right now, maybe feeling a little bit red-faced if some of the, what is it, 114 charges? Is that right? The charges relate back to um, the beginning of this era. They they concentrate very heavily on the Robert, Robert Mancini, Roberto Mancini era. At the moment, for the last two seasons, the charges are largely about City failing to comply, failing to help. If some or all of them are subsequently proven to be true, then it's it's pretty clear cut. We have to try to dissect more um, clinically our appreciation for what we've been watching and our disappointment and disgust that, that rules haven't been broken. Those are there for a reason. Rules in this instance are principally there to stop the abuse of, of mega budgets, I think, and to try in some small way to even the playing field. I've got no embarrassment about saying that um, the brand of football I'm watching from Manchester City enthralls me. It's joyful. And it doesn't look or feel like a cheats project. The rules and the judgments, if um, if the process is carried out scrupulously, might say eventually, these were cheats. It doesn't look or feel like it. Doesn't, that expression that they use in American law, it emanates from American law, if it, you know, if it looks like a something and it smells like a something and it walks like a something, it is a something. I, I, I'm enjoying this in the meantime, principally because, one, I know Begiristein well. I've known him for years. He almost never gets mentioned. He scouted and built a treble-winning side at Football Club Barcelona. The treble is a, is a rare beast. Um, I think I think only seven clubs have won it. Only two clubs have done it twice. Guardiola is on the point of, and, and now looks a reasonable favourite to be the only coach in history to win the treble twice. There's evidence there that um, th- that he's the continuous factor. And if rules have been broken and money has been misused, that will taint their achievements. There's there's, a, there's no question about that whatsoever. If they're proven innocent. If there's no verdict, then life is so tempestuous and testing for all of us that 
at that stage, I think you move on and you grumble and there's an asterisk maybe, but you, but enjoy what's in front of you for the moment and and respect what's going on too because in my opinion, Bikiristan and his team know um, putting together a mega project like that pertains to one man or woman. Marina at Chelsea, it, it doesn't matter. And United's treble was largely one without a director of football. But Bikiristan and, and um, Guardiola bridge those eras. The extraordinary treble they won in 2009, which again was joyous to watch. It was remarkably constructed. Part of it owed to a time before Pep Guardiola because the, the, the kernel of the side was put together before he arrived. But they're the two bridging men, in my opinion. And I think that, that what unites them is that it's, for my taste, I don't think we're watching a side which smells of money, which makes them a steamroller that nobody can get out of the way of. They've had to go to their ultimate to beat Arsenal in this title chase. And several weeks ago, although I said I thought that Arsenal would fumble and that City would overtake them, it was, a, it was an estimate, not knowledge. The majority of people, I think, thought Arsenal would see it through. City have had to go to the extremes. They haven't beaten Manchester United in the FA Cup yet. That will be um, that will be a WWF experience. That will be raw, I think. And genuinely, charges aside, because we don't know, and it's innocent until proven guilty for my taste, we're, we're being offered something which is aesthetically beautiful to watch. And again, which is not contrary to what you said, one of the things that Pep Guardiola does is he makes footballers better. It's not just the tactics. It's not just um, his accumulated knowledge in the way that he can unpick other sides. He makes his own footballers consistently. Who would have who would have believed that Mares would still be there? Who would have believed that Stones could make this transformation into the, the type of footballer he is now, where he plays now? Who would have believed that Carl Walker would have been could have been shepherded away from the more robust side of life? that he likes and would have kept his physical conditioning such that natural speed is one thing that people talk about Walker all the time. He's given how occasionally he lives and wants to live. The nick he's in, you know, because it took 30 minutes last night for Rumadid to put five or six creative passes together consecutively. Instantly they did. Vinicius was sent through in his own. And, and Shane, your point about the pass of Ancelotti and my point about how he was at Anfield, if it's not Kyle Walker in peak form, not fast Kyle Walker, but in peak shape, he doesn't catch him and probably Vinicius scores or sets up a goal and the tie's different again. So for my taste, you said, why do I feel like this chair? It's because we're looking at something extraordinary and it's only once we hear the judgments that we can understand whether we should um, have a bit of taste in our mouth or just continue appreciating something that's off the scale good. One thing that struck me watching the game was just how good uh, and how settled the side is at the moment. It's clear he's got a first team in a way that wasn't really that clear. If we look back to previous European Cups where they went out, there was always a, a slightly random decision that was made. And you're like, OK, I haven't really seen a lot of this before. So that would suggest that in, in his own mind, he hasn't got that settled a team. The team looks very settled at the moment. You kinda, it picks itself in, in many respects. Um there's talk that Gundogan might be at Barcelona next year. There's talk that loads of other clubs are, are interested in him. Is is it your experience that Pep, if they win this treble, that everything just rolls forward again? That they obviously strengthened, but like that that kind of he goes into whoever the person saying no, we're not giving Gundogan a multi-year contract and says we just won the treble. We're doing what we want because I want to keep this team together. 
I think it's part of his magic that, um, I mean, he often tells the truth in public, which managers are not contracted to do. And when he says, I don't want players who don't want to be here, he means it. And and it's not that Gundogan is saying, I want out. He does want a bigger length of contract than City are offering him. But he's pretty obsessed. He's too strong. He's very, very keen on the idea of coming to Barcelona. The negotiations are very advanced. It looked like the two people that Gundogan was negotiating with, Mateo Alemán and Jordi Kreff, would both leave. And suddenly that would leave the deal at least a little bit affected. Mateo Alemán looks like he's staying now. I think that the the, the, the chances favour Gundogan not renewing and going to Barcelona. Um, Barcelona have their own financial problems to deal with. To make sure that happens, I think it's a very strong likelihood that Gundogan says goodbye to Manchester City, playing the best football of his life at 31 uh, with the treble. They're, they're two principal targets, not their only targets, but the two absolute principal targets uh, were Guardiola and Bellingham. When I say were, still are. There's no deal for Bellingham to join Real Madrid. It appears like the player is favours Madrid. But Guardiola and um, Bellingham were their two principal objectives. Other players who, who demonstrate that they don't want to be at City, Pep will push them out and say thank you, goodbye. So change, I think, is likely. Wholesale change, I think, is unlikely. I think the majority of his squad are well rewarded. The contract situations are well handled. And while Bernardo Silva definitely has had a hankering to move, and if Bernardo Silva had his choice about move, he too would move to Football Club Barcelona. Laporte will leave. Laporte has been um, given the, the, in football terms, the cold shoulder by Pep Guardiola, who I think worries about his, his if I use the, the phrase football intelligence, then maybe I'm being a bit harsh. But I don't see a future for Laporte at Manchester City. Certainly not an easy one. So I think he too will leave. They'll be turning over. Wholesale change? Definitely not. The majority of the squad not only want to stay, but are ripe for staying. They're very few are reaching an age where they can't play Pep's football. So I think minor changes. I think if they can, they will sign Guardiola. And I think that would be an exceptionally interesting purchase. Because he'll be 21 by the time he gets there. And Pep, uh, with all these players, will make him better, Jeff. Graham, we'll leave it there. Great stuff. Thanks a million. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now.